Hello, darling. So you've done it. You've found the secret episode. I'm very proud of you. I mean, it wasn't really that secret because I told everybody everywhere that the link for it was in the description box. But, you know, I still feel like it's a little bit fun. Like, I feel like having an unlisted video in your description kind of is like when you find the secret, the secret room at the back of a nightclub that you need to be like a cool VIP person. You gotta be like in the know. And here we are. So, yeah. If you like the way that I tell stories and you, you like this kind of format, this way that I casually describe stories that have been done to death um please let me know and if you hate it please let me know too but just be a little bit nicer about it because you know i'm a little i'm a bit gentle like i'm i'm not used to the internet yet you know okay but without any further ado let's like settle in turn the lights down a little bit lower get a little bit more cozier as we settle down for bigfoot asmr i'm only joking I'm never gonna fucking do that. Well, maybe. No. Okay, so the Ape Canyon story is pretty wild. And it basically is about a man called Fred Beck and his really exceptional claims that he made in 1924 that made it all the way to the Oregonian, which is a newspaper. As far as crazy stories in the 1920s go, like this seems pretty tame because just a quick Google search of crazy 1920s stories tells me of like a woman who launched a charitable campaign urging women to donate their silk stockings so that they could be sent to Africa for the donkeys to wear to protect them from flea bites. There's another story from Cincinnati where a poultry show ran a competition (laughs) for women (laughs) to see whose hair matched chicken feathers the closest. And in Maine, Henry Parrish's neighbor bet him $2.50 that he couldn't count a million peas in a month. So, all right, so anyway, onto the story. So by the summer of 1924, Fred Bell had been prospecting for six years in the Mount St. Helen and Lewis River area in southwest Washington. So he was working on their gold claim, the Vander White, with four other miners, which was two miles east of Mount St. Helens near a deep canyon. Every now and then they would see large tracks by creek beds and streams. One of the other prospector, who was a great hunter and a good woodsman, always felt a little bit apprehensive after seeing the tracks because they were 19 inches long and he didn't know of any animal that could make those tracks. So it was the middle of July and Hank and the other miners had been hearing noises in the evening for about a week. It was a particular shrill whistling noise each evening and they would hear it from one ridge and then they would hear an answer whistling from another ridge. And they also said that they heard sounds which sounded like booming or thumping noises you know in modern kind of bigfoot research i guess could be considered like either tree thumping or maybe like chest thumping fred actually had a toothache and he wanted to go down the mountain into town but hank one of the other miners who he was with just like flat out refused because they had gotten a good chemical assay back on their gold plot and he basically was like there's nothing in this world that's going to take me away from this gold mine so hank asked fred one night to accompany him to the spring which was about 100 miles away from the cabin to get water and because of all these noises that they've been hearing they suggested that they take their rifles so when they were walking to the spring he heard Hank yell and he raised his rifle and in that instant he saw that there was this hairy creature about a hundred yards away on the other side of the canyon standing by a pine tree it kind of hid from them but when it poked its head out from the side of the tree Hank shot it so apparently this is a part of the story which there's a little bit of conjecture about because originally 
Fred said that he had shot the Bigfoot. And then like years later, he said that it was Hank that shot the Bigfoot. He does say that they saw it running down the canyon and he shot three times before it disappeared. So in his official account, he doesn't say that the Bigfoot died. I've heard versions of the story where they said that they shot a Bigfoot off the ridge and it died. But this is according to his 1967 book. They were pretty shaken up by this, as you can imagine, so much so that they decided to go home the next day. But they didn't want to get caught out in the darkness driving down the mountain. So they decided to stay in the cabin one last night. So the cabin was a fairly crude kind of mining cabin, as you can imagine, for the 1920s. It was made out of pine logs and it had a bunk bed where two people could sleep feet to feet. The rest of them just slept on the floor. It had a fireplace fashioned out of rocks at one end and there were no windows in the cabin. The evening seemed pretty uneventful for all intents and purposes. It was a pretty calm summer's evening in the mountains. That was, of course, until around midnight when Hank started kicking and yelling. That wasn't what had woken them up, though. What had woken them up? was this giant bang on the side of the cabin and it was with such force that some of the chinking had been knocked loose from beneath the logs and had fallen across Hank's chest so he'd been woken up from his like sleep and just grabbed his gun which was a Remington automatic and was waving it around in the air then from outside they could hear like huge noises like whole heap of feet trampling and rattling over a pile of their unused shakes from outside Uh, Hank managed to look through the space left in the chinking and in the moonlight he could see three creatures together at one time but he said that it sounded like there was way more out there. From there that is when the famous attack on the cabin kind of happened. So Fred says that the accounts of giant boulders being held against the cabin and some even falling from the roof and one even hitting him on the head Um, He says that they're not true. So he said that there was kind of larger rocks that were being thrown, but not boulders being thrown through the roof or anything like that. So the only time that they shot their guns at the creatures when when they were attacking the cabin, they would say that they would shoot at them when there was rocks being thrown at the cabin. And then they would stop shooting if it died down for a little bit. What he said was the scariest is that they were pushing against the walls and against the door. And so they had to take pieces of wood from the bunk bed to brace the door shut. And they were also climbing on top of the cabin, trying to like get in through the roof. He does say that the most frightening thing that happened was an arm reached in through one of the holes in the chinking and grabbed an axe. And it was trying to pull the axe back through. But he managed to somehow manipulate the axe so that it got stuck between the logs. Basically, like Hank shot at the same time and the creature let go. And so Fred was able to pull the axe back into the cabin. So the attack ended just before the sun came up. And when they were sure that there was enough light to see, they came out of the cabin. And it was then that Fred saw another one of the creatures about 80 yards away near the edge of what is now called Ape Canyon. He shot it three times and it toppled over the cliff down into the gorge, which he thought was about 400 feet below. So the shooting of the creature when he killed it happened after the attack, not before the attack, according to his account in 1967. So Fred Beck's book gets kind of interesting after that because he then goes on to explain 
that he always felt like he was psychic ever since he was a young boy. And he goes on to explain kind of other inexplicable events that happened in and around his time at Mount St. Helens. Like he even claims that the gold mine that they had was shown to him by a spirit guide with literally like a shining arrow that that is where they should dig. He also um, has this strange story about a set of tracks that they found in a sandbar, which looked like something had literally fallen from the sky, landed and then taken back off because there was only two. He tells this story where he was feeling lonely and he came around a curve in the trail and he met this young girl and she started talking to him as though she'd known him forever and said that her father was hunting and that she was heading back to her camp. So he said that he would walk her back to her camp, I guess. And, you know, he was just enjoying the company of this beautiful woman who loved being out in nature and said that she was one of the most pleasant people he'd ever met. So she said to him, come and meet her a little later at her camp. So he walked to her camp, which was about a mile away from their camp. And when he got there, there was like, a campfire and blanket that she was sitting on, but he didn't see her dad at all. And there was no tent, no cooking utensils, no food. But the strangest thing was, is that she kept on like speaking to her father, like he was there, like saying things like, isn't that right, dad? Like several times. And at the time he didn't even think that that was fucking strange. And when he left and walked back to the camp, it didn't feel like it was just a mile away. It felt like it was a lot longer. He could hear the other men talking, but he said that they felt like really far away. And he doesn't think that anybody else saw her, only he did. He also has a very forward thinking theory on what Sasquatch are. So he says that he believes Sasquatch and Bigfoot to firmly be an impossibility that they're a physical, actual living creature like an animal. He believes that they are manifested beings. I don't know about you guys, but this kind of came as a surprise to me. And maybe it's the reason why a lot of people don't really talk about the real, real story and about his own personal philosophies on Bigfoot very much in the Bigfoot world because he does get really metaphysical with it and, you know, multi-dimensional interdimensional being kind of esque okay well that's the story of fred beck and the ape canyon incident i really hope that you enjoyed my retelling of this story and i'm gonna make sure that i link all of my references to you so you can go and actually like read fred beck's wacky fucking book that's about all that we've got time for on this installment of creepy cryptid tales spooky sunset soiree we have to come up with a cool name for it i don't know what to call these little bonus episodes treese's tales oh god why am i so shit at this you have to help me if you've got a fun name that you think we could call this please let me know once again thank you congratulations on finding the secret episode thank you for engaging in my content stay weird stay excellent to each other i hope this finds you well 2020s 2021's most hated email sign off thank you